Greetings, creeps, and welcome to this special Halloween episode of This House is Haunted podcast. This is going to be something a little different than what I normally do. I'm going to be taking you into the world of other haunted houses and locations in the state of Kentucky. Now, there are a few that raise the hair on the back of my neck, and I thought I'd share what those are in this coming episode. Just please note that these are spooky locations and they may not be suitable for all listeners, so listener discretion is advised. Welcome creeps to the haunted locations of Kentucky. I'm your host, Critty Creep Show, and I thought I would do something a little special since I know season two has wrapped for my podcast about my own personal experience of having lived in a haunted house. But I thought it might be interesting to do a little special episode for you guys detailing some of the other haunted locations in Kentucky. Now, I know I've said I will never disclose the location of the house in Paintsville where I grew up simply because that is a place that is currently being lived in by someone and I really wouldn't want people to just show up at my house because some girl decided to share her story of having lived there and experienced paranormal phenomenon. I thought it would be interesting to share some of the places that you can visit in the state if you're doing a little Halloween thrill seeking. Now this episode is coming out the day before Halloween so there's still time if if you are in the mood for a little bit of a road trip to maybe go visit a couple of these places if you're local or kind of local to the area. Now the first place if you live in Kentucky is notorious and even if you don't live in Kentucky if you are part of a paranormal community if you watch any kind of ghost hunting show this is a place that you're going to know immediately all right any guesses the Waverly Hills Sanatorium the Waverly Hills Sanatorium was a place that was constructed um, in 1908 it opened in 1910 And at first, it served as a kind of isolated medical center uh, for patients who had tuberculosis. Now, tuberculosis back in the day, before we had the inoculations and things that we do now, was a deadly disease. Um, It was something that many people never recovered from. Um, It was often a death diagnosis for a lot of folks, especially in the rural areas of Kentucky. Uh, where we don't have a lot of access to health care even now in some of the southeastern communities, which is where I'm from, originally at least. I now live in Lexington. But so those places are places that often saw a higher death rate. Now, Waverly Hills is located in Louisville, Kentucky. And I say Louisville because if you live in the state of Kentucky and you say Louisville, then you're just going to get kicked out. <laughs> so, um, but it was opened in Louisville in 1910 is when it was opened. It was constructed in 1908. It is a huge building. If you've not seen it, I highly recommend Googling images of it. It's a very big location. And as I said, tuberculosis was often deadly and extremely contagious. Patients were usually kept quarantined in secluded spaces in that area. So it's not like hospitals now where they double double you up with a roommate. If you have tuberculosis, you're going to have your own private room, which 
I think accounts for why the building is so large because they served a lot of people. 63,000 people were noted to have lost their lives during the run of the hospital as a tuberculosis center. 63,000 people. That is a lot of people. Also, the folks who worked at the hospital, like the doctors, the nurses, even the janitors, they were not able to leave the grounds because of how contagious the disease was. This is something that not a lot of folks know. So they built basically their own community of folks there to support the people who did have a hospitalization. It had its own zip code. It had a post office. It had farmland. So it was very self-sufficient. That's something that I personally didn't know until I started doing research for this episode. I had no idea it was to that level. Um, This went all the way through the 1960s. Around that time, that's when an antibiotic was created that could cure the disease. And then that's when the hospital was closed. And it was then renovated in 1961, where it was then reopened the following year as a nursing home until 1981, which was a great year because that was the year I was born. After that, it was closed for about 20 years and it fell into a total state of disrepair. It wasn't a place that folks were chomping at the bit to buy or converting to a bed and breakfast or anything like that because of the history of the location. In 2001, it was purchased and was then turned into a haunt, an attraction. Fun note about Waverly Hills, and there's actually a movie that was created uh, called Death Tunnel. And the reason that this movie was created, because the death rate was so high at Waverly Hills during the TB pandemic or epidemic that they took care of people from from being hospitalized all the way through delivering them for burial and disposal. And because of the rate of people that were passing away, they developed an underground tunnel system that they called the Death Tunnel, where they just kind of pushed people down a chute They landed, and then they were prepped and sent for burial, which I don't think it would fly uh, these days, but I'm not sure what the process was was for COVID when the death rates were getting pretty high, but I don't think it ever got to that level. Uh, And it wasn't just the ill who lost their lives at Waverly. Uh, One very popular story that they tell if you do one of the haunted tours or if you look up about Waverly is that there's a nurse that was said to have hung herself in the bell tower and that's one of the spirits that they said wanders the halls along with a lot of the other patients who lost their lives there. Uh, People who take photographs or videos at Waverly often will find floating orbs or distortions in the images Um, If you've watched Ghost Hunters International or Ghost Hunters, if you've watched, oh gosh, what is the one? Oh, Ghost, no, Ghost Adventures, that's it. I can't believe I blanked on that one. Um, There's so many ghost shows, but it's pretty much a given that if you have a show about ghosts, that they're going to end up at Waverly. Most recently, Living for the Dead on Hulu features Ken Boggle, who is a Kentucky boy. Uh, They actually did a stop in over at Waverly as well. So that's just a fun little fact. These days, if you want to visit Waverly Hills, you do not have to have a TB diagnosis in order to get in the door. Uh, They actually have a haunted attraction that they open every fall for folks to be able to walk through. 
Now, there are a lot of people who do not want to walk through that location because of attachments. There has been a vast history of people saying that they have had attachments follow them home after being there, that they um, have quit investigating ghosts altogether because of things that happened while they were there. A friend of mine uh, said that he was there and didn't witness anything. So I guess it's just kind of the gambit of, of what you can expect whenever you visit. I know that currently they're doing, uh, well, we're beyond them being able to do the, the haunt because it, it was only open on Friday and Saturdays through October, so that's beyond us now. But maybe next year you can catch it and see. I think they also schedule private investigations. That's something that you can maybe reach out to them. They've got an Instagram. They've got a Facebook. They've got a website. So if you're interested in checking out Waverly, I highly suggest that you use one of those tools in order to, to see what you can see. I personally have never been there. One... I've been haunted enough in my life. I'm really not trying to seek out anything like that at this point. I'm very much drawn to it. I'm very much interested in it. And I find it very interesting to research. But as far as stepping my toes in there, not really my thing anymore. Or never has been actually. I'm very curious about it. But I'd just rather watch it on a show and see somebody else's experience or talk to folks that I know that have been out there versus trying to chase something down myself. I feel like I'm vulnerable after having grown up in the house in Nippa. So uh, let's move on. If you want to visit a location that has a little more boot scoot and boogie to it, I would recommend that you check out Bobby Mackey's Music World, which is also located in northern Kentucky. <laughs> it's interesting because they have a sign out front that says, warning to our patrons, this establishment is purported to be haunted. Management is not responsible and cannot be held liable for any actions of any ghost spirits on this premises. That is the point where I'd be turning my hind end around. Because <laughs> if they've got to put a notice on the front door, it's probably not for me. Another sign that they have says, come for the ghosts and stay for the music. Because... Bobby Mackey started off and still is a music hall. So it's a bar, music hall where you can go do some dancing, have a couple drinks, listen to the latest Tyler Childers, and just kind of chill out for the night. But on top of all that, it also claims to be one of the most haunted nightclubs in the United States. It gained its paranormal reputation after two Satanists murdered and beheaded a woman named Pearl Bryan in 1897 on the premises her body was found in a field not far from the building um, they also have other legends about a possible pregnant dancer named johanna who poisoned herself there in the 1950s uh, this is one of those he said she said kind of things i don't know that there's ever really any documentation about that but that's one of the stories that goes along with the building um, you can book a private ghost tour if that's your thing, and that includes Joanne's uh, dressing room. They also, another nickname for this place is that there's a Hell's Gate on the property. Another interesting fact about Bobby Mackey's is that the site originally housed a slaughterhouse, or it was a meatpacking facility 
that was built in order to service the northwestern Kentucky area, which it's pretty close to Cincinnati if you're good with geography, if you're not from the area, you know, we're neighbors. Kentucky and Ohio, we're neighbors. They also, <laughs> this is really gross, but I guess in the basement area of the slaughterhouse, they build this giant well and they use that to hold the guts and blood and waste from the slaughtered animals. I don't know how that's a thing. I'd never heard of that. My dad's best friend was, uh, he ran his own slaughterhouse. And I don't remember them ever having a big hole where they just tossed the innards to. But maybe that's a, maybe that's something that they were trying up there. There's been speculation that for years after it closed, because it closed in the 1890s as a slaughterhouse. Locals try to say that there have there was satanic cults that took place there that kind of took up residency in the area. Rumors that animals and possibly humans were being slaughtered there for ritualistic purposes during secret meetings. This is another one of those locations in Kentucky that has been a part of many TV shows. Ghost Hunters, I think, has been there. I know Ghost Adventures has been there. The Travel Channel, Destination Fear, lots of places have done little cover stories of Bobby Mackey's. There are folks who have claimed that they were demonically possessed while they were there. One was a former caretaker of the property, and it was said that his exorcism was actually performed in the club by a minister. People who visit often claim to experience suffocating heat. They see objects flying through the air. One was a trash can. A popular ghost that shows up as a handlebar mustache fella who says dying well, dying good while you're in the Ben's bathroom, which I don't think that's something I'd want to hear while I was in the bathroom, like for real. Scents are something that's very popular, especially the smell of roses in the basement, um, which I wouldn't imagine would happen since it was basically just a catch-all for, you know, animal guts, but... Uh, maybe they use that as a potpourri to try and cover up the smell. I have no idea. Bobby Mackey himself was not a strong believer in ghosts, but I think he capitalized on it a little bit. And that's one of the things that has kept that place going to this day. So if you're going to visit, just be aware that it ranges from playful interactions with the supernatural to downright terrifying, you know, a possession attachments, those kinds of things. So if you go, just be wary. Maybe wear a tiger's eye. Maybe give yourself a good smudge when you leave. But that's definitely a place that if you're in Kentucky, you're feeling spooky, you're one of those people who likes to chase down ghosts, then maybe that's a place for you to check out. Another location that gets a lot of attention here in Kentucky for being haunted is the old Talbot Tavern in Bardstown, Kentucky. Now, this is a place that was established a long, long time ago. Um, I don't exactly have... Okay. <clears throat> now, this was a place that was built in 1779. And it was the final stagecoach stop for travelers headed to the west at the time when Kentucky was still considered to be a part of Virginia. These are folks that are riding in carriages or riding on horseback for hours at a time. They're wore out. This is the last place you hit before you head out west. Now, the Old Talbot Tavern has been a location that has been visited by folks like Abraham Lincoln. Daniel Boone stayed here. And even Jesse James, who I know 
you know, piques the interest of a lot of folks who like those old outlaw and cowboy stories. But there have been also folks who have stayed there, like French King Louis Philippe, John James Audubon, Andrew Jackson, George Rogers Clark, like former presidents have stayed in this location. So this is a place that is steep in history. Like lots of affluent folks have come in and come and come and gone by there. Some folks stayed so long, like King Louis Philippe, he stayed there so long that he had paint, he had the walls painted into murals on his suite so that he had something nice to look at. It even goes so far as saying that Jesse James, after he'd had a few too many, decided to shoot shoot up the walls and there were bullets that are still into the walls to this day that he had there. If you go and visit today, you're going to see the bullet holes, you'll see the murals, the paintings, and you'll get to see maybe some of the ghosts. Um, some of the activity that's been reported is doorknobs jiggling with nobody on the other side. Flashes of light, chairs being tossed, glasses falling and breaking. Lots of tricks, but nothing malicious like what we saw maybe at Waverly or um, at Bob Mackey's. It just seems to be really playful spirits that inhabit the old tablet. The old tablet. I don't know why this is so hard. The old Talbot Tavern. Ugh. Say that three times fast. This is one of those locations that even though it's said to be haunted, isn't malicious, isn't isn't necessarily scary. Um, a lot of guests report that the place feels very warm. There's just maybe some trickster spirits around. Now, this is a place that I might possibly visit. Um, I'm actually very interested after reading and learning a little bit more about it because this is more my speed. I don't want anything that's going to follow me home. I don't want anything that's going to open a gateway to hell like at Bob Mackey's. I don't want any kind of malicious spirits showing me that they've hung themselves or, you know, hearing groaning and crying or anything like that. If somebody maybe wants to pull my hair or something like, you know, like non-malicious, a little bit playful, I believe I could encounter, I could endure that. Uh, so out of the ones that I've discussed so far, Talbert, oh, why do I always say that wrong? The Talbot Tavern sounds like a place that I actually would enjoy visiting and experiencing. It's located in the heart of downtown Bardstown and has a restaurant. You know what? I actually think I've eaten at this restaurant now that I'm saying that. Um, it has the oldest bourbon bar in the world for those of you who enjoy a good glass of bourbon. You can also stay there. There are 15 guest rooms, which may or may not include ghosts that are available for rent and it was and it sounds like it could be a really good and fun experience for anybody who's maybe want to experience wants to have a little bit of a haunted feel to the place but doesn't want to worry about their safety the final place that i'm going to talk about on this tour of haunted locations in kentucky and there are so many more these are just a couple that i decided to kind of talk about on my podcast but look up Kentucky is filled with with haunted history um, even though it's pretty taboo to talk about spirits and ghosts especially the further south you go the other location that I was going to mention is Liberty Hall and that is in Frankfort Kentucky I'm in and out of Frankfort all the time for work and yet I've never been by Liberty Hall 
Um, it's definitely, uh, as I'm looking at photos, it's a gorgeous old building. It looks like it was built back in the 17, 1800s, and it has held up very, very well. And while it is a beautiful building that has held up very well to the test of time, it does have a haunted history, particularly that has a heavy emphasis on the Lady in Grey. Now, the Lady in Grey story goes back well over 100 years. One of my favorites that I encountered while I was doing research on the Grey Lady involved a fire that had taken place at the site in the 1960s. And the two people that were involved, one was a state journal employee and the other was a firefighter. And they were called there to guard the house from vandalism because the electricity had been turned off uh, due to the fire. And they stated while there, they were investigating the attic. It was it had a door that was very hard to open and to close, I guess because it was very flush with the, with the ceiling. And while up there, the door slammed shut, scared the bejeebus out of them, as it would have done me as well. Um, and they were there for about three nights. And during the course of those three nights, things just kept escalating to the point that on the third night, they heard strange cries, moans, and every candle that they had lit was snuffed out. And these were two folks who were pretty reliable um, sources because they really didn't have anything to gain from creating this story or this narrative. In fact, they would be ridiculed for it for years because of it. So um, it seems like a pretty credible account of a haunting that happened by the Grey Lady. After the fire, it was said that the activity in the location continued to be heightened. And a lot of people believe that Whenever there's some sort of restoration or if you disturb the usual layout of a location where there is a spirit, especially an intelligent spirit, that that will cause an influx of activity. And that seems to be the case here because as repair work was being done, um, they were taking photos um, for the insurance company to document the work. And one of the photos that was taken was at the base of the stairs where there had been a lot of damage. And the person who took the photo found an inexplicable and very believable image of a lady in a wispy kind of gray dress that's going up the stairs. Now, if you Google Gray Lady of Liberty Hall, Kentucky, you're probably going to see the figure uh, that I'm talking about. I actually believe that they have this as a printed image that you can see when you go on location. So that's something that if you wanted to save that for maybe a tour, that you could do that. But I just found it very um, interesting. Anything about a lady in gray, especially since my own encounter with a lady uh, in gray or white. Um, so, yeah, that was this somebody that I really stood out to me because of my own personal experiences. I don't really see anything about her being malicious. I do see things uh, written about her perhaps making sounds and cries and groans, but I wouldn't count that as malicious. Now, that would be scary, and that's not necessarily something that I personally want to encounter either, but I'm just saying that, it again, it's not in the same vein of demonic possession or 
being attacked or pushed or bullied by spirits in locations like Waverly or at uh, Bob Mackey's like we talked about earlier. So those are the places that I decided to touch base on during this episode. Now, again, Kentucky is steeped, absolutely brimming to the top with ghost with ghost stories encounters now in some areas it's a lot more taboo to talk about like where i grew up but i'm going to tell you what after church there were always little stories that would come up and it'd be outside whispered in the parking lot typically or you know you'd go to somebody's house and they'd have something to say about the farmhouse they grew up in and and that sort of thing but it wasn't something that people typically broadcast so some of these stories might die out with families and some of them you don't even know where they originated from but I can personally speak to my experience of living in one of those haunted farmhouses, and it definitely was not something that I would ever want to repeat. But I can't say enough good things about visiting the wilderness of Kentucky, the mountains, the hills, doing some hiking, going check out the lakes. Like Kentucky's a beautiful spot. But it does have a lot of history. You know, if you head into Pike County, I guess I could have touched base on the Hatfield and the McCoys and that whole debacle. But I'll save that for maybe another episode. I've been to Hillbilly Days many a time. That usually happens in the early summer, late spring. And it's definitely uh, an area where you can hear a lot of ghost stories about folks who live in the areas where those that fight took place. A lot of bloodshed happened, a lot of negative energy, and we all know that that tends to lead to, you know, spiritual attachments or ghosts or whatever you want to call them. I hope whatever you decide to do with your Halloween day tomorrow, that you take time to not only maybe get a treat and some tricks in, but also take time to remember those that have passed on that meant something to you. I know that's something that I like to do come Halloween is maybe have some photos out, maybe make a favorite meal in honor of somebody you know that you love that's passed on. The holiday originates around that kind of remembrance of spirit and it's all about remembering and placing value on people who are no longer here with us and I think that's really important especially you know considering a lot of people believe that this is the time when the veil between the living and the dead is the thinnest i hope that you do something that makes you happy i hope you do something that makes your ancestors happy and i hope that you get a little spooking in in between but remember stay safe don't ever take anything from a site that you visit because that is just welcoming an attachment Always sage or smudge yourself prior to and after going. There are certain crystals and stones that you can use to protect yourself. If you believe in that sort of thing, tiger's eye is a great. Black obsidian is another. Just make sure you take precautions to protect yourself spiritually so that when you're out spooking, that you don't bring anything home because that never, that never turns out well for anybody. And if you head to any of these locations in Kentucky like Waverly or like Liberty Hall. Just remember to be respectful. Um, If somebody was coming into your house and antagonizing you, you probably wouldn't be very nice either. So just remember that when you're out there, you know, maybe trying to conjure up the dead or whatever may be on the premises. Uh, Just be respectful. So on that note, I hope you've enjoyed this little departure from our regularly programmed uh, material. 
This is just something I wanted to do in order to commemorate Halloween and invite folks to get spooky but stay safe. And I will probably do a couple more of these little episodes. I'm hoping to do at least one episode a month. I don't know what those are all going to look like yet. I don't know if it's going to be something similar to this or something totally different. Who knows? But just in order to keep us connected until season three of the podcast starts up in 2024. I'm not going to hold myself too tight to that. Uh, On that note, okay, I know I say on that note a lot, but I really mean it this time. On that note, happy Halloween, happy spooking, and remember... Don't go chasing any voices you hear in the night, especially on Halloween.